0: morning. If there's anyone here in the um, Tyndale Hip Hop Club, I think it's very important for you to know that at every board meeting, it's the absolute first thing Gary brags about. And for some reason, he just loves to rub my face in the fact that he's part of the Tyndale Hip Hop Club. I don't know why. So I just wanted, I thought it was important for you to know if you're having any problems with recruitment, that that's the, that's the kind of image that's out there that um, personifies your membership. I'd like to read a little bit today with you from Mark, chapter 5. A woman who had suffered a condition of hemorrhaging for 12 years, a long succession of physicians had treated her and treated her badly, taking all her money and leaving her worse off than before, had heard about Jesus. She slipped in behind and touched his robe. She was thinking to herself... If I can put a finger on his robe, I can get well. The moment she did it, the flow of blood dried up. She could feel the change and knew her plague was over and done with. At the same moment, Jesus felt energy discharging from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said, what are you talking about? With this crowd pushing and jostling you, you're asking who touched me? dozens have touched you. But he went on asking, looking to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened, knowing she was the one, stepped up in fear and trembling, knelt before him, and gave the whole story. Jesus said to her, Daughter, you took a risk of faith, and now you're healed and whole. Live well. Live blessed. Be healed of your plague." Over the past couple of years and everything I've been doing, God's been hammering at me with a singular theme. And that's been to focus on his transformative power. In August, I had the privilege of speaking at the opening of the Courts of Ontario. And I told my wife, don't come, because it's not a big deal. But when I got there, it was a big deal. And it was I was quite impressed. They had flown all the... Um, Chief justices of the courts around Canada in, and they all look very handsome sitting there in a row, and it was just a great event to be at. I've come to an age now where, whenever I'm asked to speak at things like this, I, um, I tend to, I've, I've decided I'm just going to speak what's on my heart. So my theme that day was that there were three types of poverty: spiritual poverty, social poverty, and economic poverty, and that the most important of those was spiritual poverty. Because whenever you're dealing with people in the streets or even friends of yours, you find that until they can find a sense of hope, a sense of empowerment, nothing else really takes. Now, I thought I was going to be delivering a message that might or might not be well received, um, but would be new information to them. The thing that surprised me the most was the comments I got afterwards it wasn't that it was new information, just that perhaps it was well packaged, but everybody's on the same page with that. There's a general consensus, both in the secular and spiritual world, that spiritual poverty is the foundational root of all the problems we're facing. Another project I was working on with the school boards dealt with this whole idea of cognitive and non-cognitive learning. And the realization that for kids who aren't doing well in school, Another extra math class or tutoring in science isn't going to help the most important thing is preparedness for opportunities. do they have the internal fortitude to actually succeed and until you can get them spiritually empowered, none of the other stuff takes another math class isn't going to help. A great book was written by a man named Paul Tuff within which he talked about something he called performance character and Just look at the list. He he, he quoted a lot of great research on there were something like 200 different identified character traits and these were the seven that they identified as most important for people to succeed. Just look at the alignment of these with the fruits of the spirit. Grit, self-control, zest, social intelligence, gratitude, optimism, curiosity. He went on to say that even when kids wanted to develop these qualities, excuse me, two other things were important. Volition. Volition is, so I want to be this person. How am I empowered to be that person? And the second thing was sense of self. There was a woman involved in the same project, Sandra Dean, who is well known for turning around a school um, in an at risk neighborhood just north of us. And she's of no spiritual, no defined spiritual um, perspective. But she said in her classes and in her school, one of the things she did was she forced all the kids to figure out on what was their life based. And she said for some it was God, for some it was me. For those of Aboriginal descent, there was something that leaned more towards their personal heritage, but volition and your sense of self were the most important things she knew she had to make sure these kids were aware of and was inculcated in everything they did for them to succeed. Spiritual transformation and empowerment as the, as the fund, fundamental foundation. Right now I'm working on a project with, a, with um, the Prince's Charities Canada where they're working with CEOs across Canada to help them beef up their corporate social responsibility programs. And the reason they run those programs, there are three different reasons. The first is you have a whole bunch of CEOs who, having made it, now are worried about legacy. What's the meaning of everything I've done over all these years? The second reason they're doing it is because you have all these kids. I guess I can call you that at this stage of my life, between 21 to 25, who probably wanted to go into community development, but their parents told them there's no money in that, go into accounting, who are now going to choose the firms they work for based on whether or not those firms provide them with meaning. Is what Does what we do make a difference in the world? And there are only a few companies like the Apples and the Googles around, around that actually provide you with meaning based on, provide that sense of meaning based on the products they offer. So all these companies are coming together saying, if we want to attract, retain, and develop the best employees, how do we provide them with meaning? Spiritual foundation. And the funny thing is, when you talk to them, and they start going in this place, and you tell them, you know what? What you're telling me is to build into the spiritual, they will tell you, yes, and you can use that word. They're taking back the word spiritual from the religious. One of the projects within this whole thing is a project with Bell, building on their whole Let's Talk campaign. And it it deals with this idea of fringe voices. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a a great piece a couple years ago called Million Dollar Murray, where he talked about a program in Philadelphia where they had learned, they knew how to deal with chronic poverty. They came up with a great solution for it. And I won't get into what that solution was, but they are having problems implementing that solution because of shrill voices on the left and the right. On the right, um, there were voices that would say, why would you invest in the chronically poor with all their deficiencies and Ill- mental illnesses and whatnot when you could invest in these good young kids over here who are... Um, temporarily displaced, but can make a real contribution to our society, real judgments there. And on the other side, you'd have people on the left who would say, who are you to say that homelessness isn't a legitimate lifestyle? Who are you to take, to, to work hard to help these people exit the streets? And those are the same kind of um, discussions and arguments that I found I faced when I was at the Young Street Mission with our sex trade program. Who are you to say that prostitution isn't a legitimate lifestyle and that you should be working towards exit off the streets? The reason I bring that up is because Malcolm Gladwell, as many of you may may know, he's the the best-selling author of many books, The Tipping Point, Outliers, Blink, What the Dog Saw. But in his newest book, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants, he talks about improbable victories. Malcolm Gladwell was actually brought up in a Mennonite community in rural Ontario, and every one of his siblings has been to seminary and has been a lay preacher. But what he found out in that book, in in writing that book, he rediscovered his faith because it was a book about stories of empowerment, people who overcame tremendous odds to not only... To make a difference in their lives and the lives of others, and he found that in most of those cases, there was some kind of God connection, and it spurred him on to reinvestigate his own faith. And this is what he said in a quote when talking about um, his rediscovery of his Christian faith. I think there has always been an overemphasis on the idea that David, as in David and Goliath, that David's victory was improbable. David was very skilled at using the weapon using the weapon, and he was filled with the spirit of the Lord. Put those things together, why is he an underdog? He's smarter than his opponent, better armed, and he has this extraordinary force in his heart. When you understand that perspective, you understand that sometimes our instinct about where power comes from is wrong. What a well-known, powerful voice that in his personal journey has now discovered that the most important thing is the empowerment you get from the divine and from his perspective that you get from God, the God we believe in and serve. So I guess I have a point, a point to all of you, future leaders and influencers in our faith. I want to emphasize that this, that God's spirit has been actively working, opening people's hearts and minds and bringing them to the doorstep of the church people now believe that what they need is spiritual empowerment. We live in a world that openly recognizes its spiritual emptiness and that, is coll- and that collective emptiness is what's making the world around them worse. It's a world that's actively looking for some kind of transformative spiritual power. We also live in a country where about 50% of the people say that God somehow has something to say or a role to play in this type of empowerment. And another 25% are open to it. There's no excuse anymore to say that we're on the outskirts and, and we're the maligned minority. There are fringe voices on the left and the right, but the majority up the middle believes that spiritual empowerment is important and somehow God has a role to play. So how do we respond to that? I'm sorry, this cold weather is really getting to me. Thankful to know that on the other side, God will put things back how they should be and take all the white people and put you in the cold places and all the black people and put us back where we belong. Uh, But going back. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Do we want to be some of those shrill voices on the left and the right? Often the church is characterized that way, as a shrill voice just casting judgment. Do we want to be the hands and the feet of Christ? That's not a bad thing either. But I will tell you that I've never been anywhere where it's worthwhile working, that I haven't already seen God's spirit working. So it's a good thing to be the hands and feet of Christ and the voice of Christ. But I suggest an even better place to start is be the cloak of Christ, or at least a piece of it. I love that story of the woman because it just takes a piece of Christ to transform the world, just a touch of his robe to transform someone's life. If anything, wrap yourself in the movements of Christ. Allow yourself to move freely when he moves. Figure out what it means to be a conductive, Um, available agent of his transformative power. And to do so, one of the things you have to ask yourself is, do you believe that Christ transforms today? I've said it before. It's one of my singular frustrations. I believe we've lost that in our faith, the belief that Christ transforms. We think there's lots of work we have to do, lots of conversations we have to lead on our own, but we just don't Clear the way for Christ's power to impact the lives of others around us. In, in, in another assignment, I, I um, took to asking people, if one of the people we serve today came up to you and said, based on my current condition and my current circumstances, if I were to give my life over to Christ, would it make a difference? I was surprised that the majority for most, the initial answer was, ah, uh, hmm. We hadn't even thought it through. And then the rest, for the majority after that, having thought it through, there was some narrative about, well, someday in the here and beyond, and you know, when we get to the other side, we have to decide firmly for ourselves whether we believe that today, in the here and now, Christ makes a difference. We've got churches in so many communities around our city. Should those communities not be changing? We have to ask ourselves that, because this is our turf. If the world is going to say they're looking for transformative power and they're open to finding out whether God can deliver it, that's our turf. I went on a... um, Years ago, I ran a a little program... um, and it was, you know, really aimed at my, my non-Christian friends based on the Alpha program. And um, it was a continual conversation about um, Christ and the effect he can have in your life. And I think we ran it well, and over the course of about two years, um, different people came through this course, and you know, we kept beefing it up, and I, I think I felt, you know Um, proud of the fact that we felt like over a two-year period of time, we were winning the argument. We were winning the argument for Christ. And there came certain points, and often early on, when people would say, you know this whole Christ thing makes sense to me. Died on the cross, died for my sins, I need him as a savior. You would say to yourself, great, why don't you make a confession for Christ? And they'd say, no. And we'd all huddle all the Christians up together and say, something's wrong. We could never figure it out. So we had this group of people in this Bible study for a a two-year period, and there came a certain point when someone said, I'm not sure about this whole Christ thing, but um, I'd like to make a difference somehow. I'd like things to be different. And I don't know how it happened, but next thing you knew, someone talked about orphans in Africa. And if you know my wife, the next day she'd planned out the whole thing, and we're off to Africa. And we, we that causes lots of problems in other areas, but it worked out in this case. Um, So next thing you knew, we were off, and we went. And within three days on the ground, three people came up to us and said, is this what you've been talking about? Why don't I get baptized? No discussion. And what happened was you went to a place where God's, the person who ran the orphanage, uh, gentleman Charles Mooley, God works through him. He lives on the edge. He takes a risk of faith with Christ every single day. And he lives on the edge. Um, so they could see Christ's power not only working through him, but working, working through him with all these kids. Also working with these kids who are street kids and now had to love and empower their new brothers and sisters, 2,000 of them. And they had to um, immerse themselves in that engine. And having left certain luxuries at home, they had to cram themselves in one little room for a two-week period and build into, as best as they could, all their, other, um, all their other trip mates, many of whom were having the best and worst days of their lives. And they felt a certain empowerment in that. And they said, I want that. And three of them got back, so they had this big baptismal service, which is probably the best way to get baptized ever. Because you have all these kids singing on the shoreline. And they come down there, and then you have a couple kids in the water. Um, so the, the person's gonna get baptized, a couple kids in the water over here, and we ask, What are those kids doing? Well, they're there in case the crocodile comes. <laughs> and a couple days later, we saw the crocodile. That crocodile was huge, it was about nine feet tall, basking in the sun. And we were thinking, So if the crocodile comes, but, you know, we decided not to go there. I don't know what would have happened. But they got baptized. And I had these great pictures of the baptism. And then right when it was over, there was kind of a little island, a little sand dune over here. And there were three other people from our trip standing on that sand dune. And we didn't know it till later, but they were contemplating the exact same thing. And after the orphanage went to all this trouble to throw this baptism and stop, pull all the kids out of school just for these three people on our trip, who decided to get baptized, at the end of the day in the evening, these other three came along and said, we want to get baptized too. So they did the whole thing again. But my whole point to you here is, it's not about the conversation. It's about people getting that sense of empowerment that Christ can empower and change their lives. So I just offer you this, that as you, um, whatever you're going to do with your education here, whether it's for personal or professional reasons. Be the cloak. Wrap yourself around Christ. Figure out what it means for you personally to be an agent of his transformative power and respond to all the great work his spirit, the foundation his spirit has already laid in this city where we have so many saying, who are right on the edge there, begging looking for anything that can transform their lives and open to the fact that that could be Christ. Thank you very much. I forgot. I forgot I was supposed to close in prayer. (laughs) Dear Lord and our Father, thank you so much for the knowledge and the experience that you transform lives that your kingdom is here now Lord it's not to come and that you have given us the privilege Lord of living lives where we can be agents of reconciliation Um, being that link between you and the hearts and minds and souls and futures of so many Lord who are so aware of their need Lord so aware of the fact that their hearts are empty Lord but unaware that you can fill it lord make us those people make us those instruments lord that you can use lord so that um with just a touch of your a touch to your cloak so many around us lord can be healed and whole and live the blessed lives you have planned for them in all this i pray amen